Part three of Book Three of the History of Britain by John Milton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Book three, part three. Who this king should be hath bred much question. Some think it to be the British name of Ambrose, others to be the right name of his brother, who, for the terror of his eagerness in fight, became more known by the surname of Uther which in the Welsh tongue signifies dreadful. And if ever such a king in Britain there was as Uther Pendragon, for so also the Monmouth book surnames him, this in all likelihood must be he. Herdic, by so great a blow given to the Britons, had made large room about him, not only for the men he brought with him, but for such also of his friends as he desired to make great, for which cause and with all the more to strengthen himself, his two nephews, Stuff and Withgar, in three vessels, bring him new levies to Kurdic shore. Note, post-Christ 514, returned text. Who that they might not come sluggishly to possess what others had won for them, either by their own seeking or by appointment, are set in a place where they could not but at their first coming give proof of themselves upon the enemy. And so well they did it, that the Britons, after a hard encounter, left them masters of the field. About the same time, Ella, the first South Saxon king, died, whom Kissa, his youngest son, succeeded, the other two failing before him. Nor can it be much more or less than about this time, for it was before the West Saxon kingdom, that Offa, the eighth from Woden, made himself king of the East Angles, who by their name testify the country above mentioned from whence they came in such multitudes that their native soil is said to have remained in the days of Beda uninhabited. Huntington defers the time of their coming in to the ninth year of Curdick's reign, for, saith he, at first many of them strove for principality, seizing every one his province, and for some while so continued, making petty wars among themselves, till in the end Uffa, of whom these kings were called Uffings, overtopped them all in the year 571. Then Titulus, his son, the father of Redwall, who became potent. And not much after the East Angles began also the East Saxons to erect a kingdom under Sleda, the tenth from Odin. But Huntington, as before, will have it registered, and no more than barely registered, in annals later by eleven years, and Erkenwind be the first king. Herdic, the same in power, though not so fond of title, forbore the name of king twenty-four years after his arrival, but then founded so firmly the kingdom of the West Saxons, note, post-Christ, 519, returned to text, that it subjected all the rest at length, and became the sole monarchy of England. The same year he had a victory against the Britons at Curtick's Ford, by the river Avon, and after eight years, another great fight at Curdick's lead, but which army won the day is not by any writer set down. Hitherto has been collected what there is of certainty with circumstances of time and place to be found registered, and no more than barely registered, in annals of best note, without describing after Huntington the manner of those battles and encounters, which they who compare and can judge of books may be confident he never found in any current author whom he had to follow. 
but this disease hath been incident to many more historians and the age whereof we now write hath had the ill hap more than any since the first fabulous times to be surcharged with all the idle fancies of posterity yet that we may not rely altogether on saxon relators gildas in antiquity far before these and every way more credible speaks of these wars in such a manner though nothing conceited of the british valour as declares the saxons in his time and before to have been foiled not seldomer than the britons for besides that first victory of ambrose and the interchangeable success long after he tells us that the last overthrow which they received at baden hill was not the least which they in their oldest annals mention not at all and because the time of this battle by any who could do more than guess is not set down or any foundation given from whence to draw a solid compute it cannot be much wide to insert it in this place for such authors as we have to follow give the conduct and praise of this exploit to arthur and that this was the last of twelve great battles which he fought victoriously against the saxons the several places written by nennius in their welsh names were many hundred years ago unknown and so are here omitted but who arthur was and whether ever any such person reigned in britain hath been doubted heretofore and may again with good reason for the monk of malmesbury and others whose credit hath swayed most with the learned resort we may well perceive to have known no more of this arthur five hundred years past nor of his doings than we now living and what they had to say transcribed out of nennius a very trivial writer yet extant which hath already been related or out of a british book the same which he of monmouth set forth utterly unknown to the world till more than six hundred years after the days of arthur of whom as sigebert in his chronicle confesses all other histories were silent both foreign and domestic except only that fabulous book others of later time have sought to assert him by old legends and cathedral regists but he who can accept of legends for good story may quickly swell a volume with trash and had need be furnished with two only necessaries leisure and belief whether it be the writer or he that shall read as to arthur no less is in doubt who was his father for if it be true as nennius or his notice avers that arthur was called mabuther that is to say a cruel son for the fierceness that men saw in him as a child and the intent of his name arturus imports as much it might well be that some in after ages who sought to turn him into a fable wrested the word uther into a proper name and so feigned him the son of uther since we read not in any certain story that ever such person lived till geoffrey of monmouth set him off with the surname of pendragon and as we doubted of his parentage so may we also of his puissance for whether that victory at baden hill were his or no is uncertain gildas not naming him as he did ambrose in the former next if it be true as caradoc relates that melvis king of that country which is now called somerset kept him from guinevere's wife a whole year in the town of glaston 
and restored her at the entreaty of gildas rather than for any enforcement that arthur with all his chivalry could make against a small town defended only by a moory situation had either his knowledge in war or the force he had to make been answerable to the fame they bear that petty king would not have dared to put such an affront upon him nor he have been so long and at last without effect in revenging it considering lastly how the saxons gained upon him everywhere all the time of his supposed reign which began as some right in the tenth year of kerdic note post christ five twenty nine return to text who wrung from him by long war the countries of somerset and hampshire there will remain neither place nor circumstance in story which may administer any likelihood of any of these great acts that are ascribed to him this only is acknowledged by nennius in arthur's behalf that the saxons though vanquished never so oft grew still more numerous upon him by continual supplies out of germany and the truth is that valour may be overtoiled and overcome at last with endless overcoming but as for this battle of mount badon where the saxons were hemmed in or besieged whether by arthur one or whensoever it seems indeed to have given a most undoubted and important blow to the saxons and to have stopped their proceedings for a good while after gildas himself witnessing that the britons having thus compelled them to sit down with peace fell thereupon to civil discord among themselves which words may seem to let in some light toward the searching out when this battle was fought and we shall find no time since the first saxon war from whence a longer peace ensued than from the fight at Curdic's league in the year five hundred and twenty seven which all the chronicles mention without victory to Curdic, and give us argument from the custom they have of magnifying their own deeds upon all occasions to presume here is ill-speeding and if we look still onward even to the forty-fourth year after wherein gildas wrote if his obscure utterance be understood we shall meet with every little war between the britons and saxons this only remains difficult that the victory first won by ambrose was not so long before this at badon siege but that the same men living might be eyewitnesses of both and by this rate hardly can the latter be thought won by arthur unless we reckon him a grown youth at least in the days of ambrose and much more than a youth if malmesbury be heard who affirms all the exploits of ambrose to have been done chiefly by arthur as his general which will add much unbelief to the common assertion of his reigning after ambrose and uther especially the fight of badon being the last of his twelve battles but to prove by that which follows that the fight at Curdic's league though it differ in name from that of badon may be thought the same by all effects Curdic, three years after note post christ five thirty return to text not proceeding onward as his manner was on the continent turns back his forces on the isle of wight which with the slaying of a few only in withgarborough he soon masters and not long surviving left it to his nephews by the mother's side stuff and withgar note post christ five thirty four return to text the rest of what he had subdued kenrick his son held and reigned twenty-six years in whose tenth year withgar was buried in the town of that island which bore his name note post christ five fifty four return to text 
Notwithstanding all these unlikelihoods of Arthur's reign and great achievements, in a narration crept in I know not how among the laws of Edward the Confessor, Arthur, the famous king of Britons, is said not only to have expelled hence the Saracens, who were not then known in Europe, but to have conquered Friesland, and all the north-east isles as far as Russia, to have made Lapland the eastern bound of his empire, and Norway the chamber of Britain. When should this be done? From the Saxons, till after twelve battles he had no rest at home, after those, the Britons, contented with quiet they had from their Saxon enemies, were so far from seeking conquests abroad, that by the report of Gildas above cited they fell to civil wars at home. Surely Arthur would have done much better to have made war in old Saxony, to repress their flowing hither, than to have won kingdoms as far as Russia, when he was scarce able here to defend his own. Buchanan, our neighbour historian, reprehends him of Monmouth and others for fabling in the deeds of Arthur. Yet what he writes there of himself, as of better credit, shows not whence he had it but from those fables, which he seems content to believe in part, on condition that the Scots and Picts may be thought to have assisted Arthur in all his wars and achievements, whereof appears as little ground by credible story as of that which he most counts fabulous. But not further to contest about such uncertainties, I will now go on with the history. In the year 547, Ida the Saxon, sprung also from Woden in the tenth degree, began the kingdom of Bernicia in Northumberland, built the town of Bebenburg, which was after Wald, and had twelve sons, half by wives and half by concubines. Hengist, by leave of Vortigern, we may remember, had sent Octave and Ibissa to seek them seats in the north, and there, by warring on the Picts, to secure the southern parts, which they so prudently effected that what by force and fair proceeding they well quieted those countries, and though so far distant from Kent, nor without power in their hands, yet kept themselves nigh a hundred and eighty years within moderation, and as inferior governors they and their offspring gave obedience to the kings of Kent as to the elder family till at length, following the example of that age, when no less than kingdoms were the prize of every fortunate commander, they thought it but reason, as well as others of their nation, to assume royalty, of whom Ida was the first, a man in the prime of his years, and of parentage such as we have heard. But how he came to wear the crown, whether by his own aspiring ambition, or by the free choice of his followers or subjects, is not said. Certain enough it is, that his virtues made him not less noble than his birth, in war undaunted and unfoiled, in peace, tempering the awe of magistracy with a natural mildness, he reigned about twelve years. Note, post-Christ 552, return to text. In the meantime, while Kenrick, in a fight near Serisburg, now Salisbury, killed and put to flight many of the Britons, and the fourth year after, at Berenbury, now Banbury is something, note, post-Christ 553, return to text, with Cowlin, his son, put them again to flight. Cowlin, shortly after, succeeded his father in the West Saxons, and Alla, descended also from Woden, but of another line, set up a second kingdom in Dera, 
the south part of Northumberland. Note, post-Christ 560, return to text, and held it thirty years, while Ada, the son of Ida, and five more after him, reigned without other memory in Bernicia, and in Kent, Ethelbert, the next year began. Note, post-Christ 561, return to text. But Eska, the son of Hengist, had left Otha, and he, Emmerich, to rule after him, both which, without adding to their bounds, kept what they had in peace fifty-three years. But Ethelbert, in length of reign, equaled both the progenitors, and, as Beda counts, three years exceeded. Note, post-Christ 568, turn to text. Young at his first entrance, and unexperienced, he was the first raiser of civil war among the Saxons, claiming from the priority of time wherein Hengus took possession here a kind of right over the later kingdoms, and thereupon was troublesome to their confines. But by them twice defeated, he who but now thought to seem dreadful became almost contemptible, for Caroline and Cutha his son, pursuing him into his own territory, slew there in battle at Wibbenden two of his earls, Oslac and Kniven. By this means the Britons, but chiefly by this victory at Baden, for the space of forty-four years, ending in 571, received no great annoyance from the Saxons, but the peace they enjoyed, by ill-using it, proved more destructive to them than war. For being raised on a sudden by two such eminent successes from the lowest condition of thraldom, they whose eyes had beheld both those deliverances, that by Ambrose and this at Baden, were taught by the experience of either fortune, both kings, magistrates, priests, and private men, to live orderly. But when the next age, unacquainted with past evils, and only sensible of their present ease and quiet, succeeded, straight followed the apparent subversion of all truth and justice in the minds of most men. Scarce the least footstep or impression of goodness left remaining to all ranks and degrees in the land except in some so very few as to be hardly visible in a general corruption, which grew in short space not only manifest, but odious to all the neighboring nations, and first their kings, amongst whom also the sons and grandchildren of Ambrose were foully degenerated to all tyranny and vicious life, whereof to hear some particulars out of Gildas will not be impertinent. They avenge, saith he, and they protect, not the innocent, but the guilty. They swear oft, but perjure. They wage war, but civil and unjust war. They punish rigorously them that rob by the highway, but those grand robbers that sit with them at table they honor and reward. They give alms largely, but in the face of their alms deeds pile up wickedness to a far higher heap. They sit in the seat of judgment, but go seldom by the rule of right neglecting and proudly overlooking the modest and harmless, but countenancing the audacious, though guilty of abominable crimes. They stuff their prisons, but with men committed rather by circumvention than by any just cause. Nothing better with a clergy, but at the same pass, or rather worse than when the Saxons came first in, unlearned, unapprehensive, yet imprudent, subtle prowlers, pastors in name, but indeed wolves, 
intent upon all occasions not to feed the flock but to pamper and well line themselves not called but seizing on the ministry as a trade not as a spiritual charge teaching the people not by sound doctrine but by evil example usurping the chair of peter but through the blindness of their own worldly lusts they stumble upon the seat of judas deadly haters of truth broachers of lies looking on the poor christian with eyes of pride and contempt but fawning on the wickedest rich men without shame great promoters of other men's alms with their set exhortations but themselves contributing ever least slightly touching the many vices of the age but preaching without end their own grievances as done to christ seeking after preferments and degrees in the church more than after heaven and so gained made it their whole study how to keep them by any tyranny yet lest they should be thought things of no use in their eminent places they have their niceties and trivial points to keep in awe the superstitious multitude but in true saving knowledge leave them still as gross and stupid as themselves bunglers at the scripture nay forbidding and silencing them that know but in worldly matters practised and cunning shifters in that only art and simony great clerks and masters bearing their heads high at their thoughts abject and low he taxes them also as gluttonous incontinent and daily drunkards and what shouldst thou expect from these poor laity so he goes on these beasts all belly shall these amend thee who are themselves laborious in evil doings shalt thou see with their eyes who see right forward nothing but gain leave them rather as bids our saviour lest ye fall both blindfold into the same perdition are all thus perhaps not all or not so grossly but what availed it eli to be himself blameless while he connived at others that were abominable who of them hath been envied for his better life who of them hath hated to consort with these or withstood their entering the ministry or endeavoured zealously their casting out yet some of these perhaps by others are legended for great saints this was the state of government this of religion among the britons in that long calm of peace which the fight of baden hill had brought forth whereby it came to pass that so fair a victory came to nothing towns and cities were not re-inhabited but lay ruined and waste nor was it long ere domestic war breaking out wasted them more for britain as at other times had then also several kings five of whom gildas living then in armorica at a safe distance boldly reproves by name first constantine fabled the son of cador duke of cornwall arthur's half-brother by the mother's side who then reigned in cornwall and devon a tyrannical and bloody king polluted also with many adulteries he got into his power two young princes of the royal blood uncertain whether before him in right or otherwise suspected and after solemn oath given of their safety the year that gildas wrote slew them with their two governors in the church and in their mother's arms through the abbot's coat which he had thrown over them thinking by the reverence of vesture to have withheld the murderer 
these are commonly supposed to be the sons of Mordred, Arthur's nephew, said to have revolted from his uncle, giving him in a battle his death's wound, and by him after to have been slain. Which things, were they true, would much diminish the blame of cruelty in Constantine, revenging Arthur on the sons of so false a Mordred. In another part of Britain, but it is not expressed where, Aurelius Cononus was king. Him he charges also with adulteries, and parricide, cruelties worse than the former, to be a hater of his country's peace, thirsting after civil war and prey. His condition, it seems, was not very prosperous, for Gildas wished him, being now left alone, like a tree withering in the midst of a barren field, to remember the vanity and arrogance of his father and eldest brethren, who came all to untimely death in their youth. The third, reigning in Demetia, or South Wales, was Vortipol, the son of a good father. He was, when Gildas wrote, grown old, not in years only, but in adulteries, and in governing, full of falsehood and cruel actions. In his latter days, putting away his wife, who died in divorce, he became, if we mistake not Gildas, incestuous with his daughter. The fourth was Kineglas, embrued in civil war. He also had divorced his wife, and taken her sister, who had vowed widowhood. He was a great enemy to the clergy, high-minded and trusting to his wealth. The last, but greatest of all in power, was Maglokin, and greatest also in wickedness. He had driven out or slain many other kings or tyrants, and was called the Island Dragon, perhaps having his seat in Anglesey, the profuse giver, a great warrior, and of a goodly stature. While he was yet young, he overthrew his uncle, though in the head of a complete army, and took from him the kingdom. Then, touched with the remorse of his doings, not without deliberation, took upon him the profession of a monk, but soon forsook his vow, and his wife also, which for that vow he had left, making love to the wife of his brother's son, then living. Who, not refusing the offer, if she were not rather the first that enticed, found means both to dispatch her own husband and the former wife of Maglopin, to make her marriage with him the more unquestionable. Neither did he this for want of better instructions, having had the learnedest and wisest man reputed of all Britain for the institutor of his youth. Thus much, the utmost that can be learnt by truer story, of what passed among the Britons from the time of their useless victory at Baden to the time that Gildas wrote, that is to say, as may be guessed, from the year of Christ 527 to the year 571, is here set down altogether, not being capable of being reduced under any certainty of years. But now the Saxons, who for the most part all this while have been still, unless among themselves, began afresh to assault them, and ere long to drive them out of all which they had maintained on this side Wales. For Cuthulf, the brother of Cowlin, note, post-Christ 571, return to text, by a victory obtained in Bedenford, now Bedford, took from them four good towns, Ligenburg, Eaglesburg, Bensington, now Benson, in Oxfordshire, and Ignisham, but outlived not many months his good success, and after six years more, note post-Christ 577, return to text, Cowlin and Cuthwin his son 
gave them a great overthrow at Durham in Gloucestershire, slew three of their kings, Como, Condedon, and Farimale, and took three of their chief cities, Gloucester, Sisseter, and Bedensister. The Britons, notwithstanding, after some space of time, note post-Christ 584, return to text, judging to have outgrown their losses, gather to a head and encounter Cowlin, with Cutha his son, at Fethenleague, whom valiantly fighting they flew among the thickest and as is said forced the saxons to retire but cowlin reinforcing the fight put them to a main rout and following his advantage took many towns and returned laden with rich booty the last of those saxons who raised their own achievements to a monarchy was crida much about this time first founder of the mercian kingdom drawing also his pedigree from Woden, of whom all to write the several genealogies, though it might be done without long search, were in my opinion to encumber the story with a sort of barbarous names, to little purpose. This may suffice, that of Woden's three sons, from the eldest issued Hengist and his succession, from the second the kings of Mercia, from the third all that reigned in West Saxony, and most of the Northumbers, of whom Alla was one, the first king of Dera, which after his death the race of Ida seized, and made it one kingdom with Bernicia. Note, post-Christ 588, returned to text, usurping the childhood of Edwin, Alla's son, whom Ethelric, the son of Ida, expelled. Notwithstanding others write of him, that from a poor life and beyond hope in his old age, coming to the crown, he could hardly by the access of a kingdom have overcome his former obscurity had not the fame of his son preserved him once more the britons note post christ five eighty eight returned to text ere they quitted all on this side the mountains forgot not to show some manhood for meeting cowlin in wodensworth that is to say at woden's mount in wiltshire note post christ five ninety two returned to text whether it were by their own forces or assisted by the Angles, whose hatred Cowlin had incurred, they ruined the whole army and chased them out of his kingdom. From whence flying, he died the next year in poverty, who a little before was the most potent and indeed sole king of all the Saxons on this side Humber. But who was chief among the Britons in this exploit had been worth remembering whether it was Maglokin, of whose prowess hath been spoken, or Tudric, king of Glamorgan, whom the regist of Landaff recounts to have been always victorious in fight, to have reigned about this time, and at length to have exchanged his crown for an hermitage, till, in the aid of his son Moric, whom the Saxons had reduced to extremes, taking arms again, he defeated them at ten turn by the river Wye, but himself received a mortal wound. Note, post-Christ 593, return to text. The same year with Cowlin, whom Caola, the son of Cuthulf, Cowlin's brother, succeeded. Crida, also the Mercian king, deceased, in whose room Wibba succeeded, and in Northumberland, Ethelfred, in the room of Ethelric, who had reigned there twenty-four years. Thus omitting fables, we have the view of what with reason can be relied on for truth, done in Britain since the Romans forsook it, wherein we have heard the many miseries and desolations 
brought by the divine hand on a perverse nation, driven, when nothing else would reform them, out of a fair country into a mountainous and barren corner by strangers and pagans. So much more tolerable in the eye of heaven is infidelity professed than Christian faith and religion dishonored by unchristian works. Yet they also at length renounced their heathenism, which, how it came to pass, will be the matter next related. End of the third book of Milton's History of Britain Recording by Thomas Copeland